Hello and welcome to another edition of Fides Podcast. My name is Jerry Serino and I'm your host and I'm here with talent on loan from Rush. You know, we um, historically have seen images of Auschwitz and places like that that have been absolutely horrific and unimaginable to see and know about, know even about their existence. Uh, unfortunately, we have death camps today and those come in the form of abortion facilities. And as we, uh, it took an army, it took a war essentially to close down the death camps in Nazi Germany. Um, it is also unfortunately taking a war, but a battle of a different type, a battle in which in this case is uh, being waged in part by a woman instead of a male soldier older over in uh over in Europe. So my guest today is Missy Martinez Stone, and she is the CEO of Reprotection, and she is shutting down abortion facilities. Missy, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm great to be here, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. And and you have really a great organization. So Reprotection, if you go to the website, it's reprotection.org. And I'm actually going to um, uh, put it and scroll it at the bottom of the screen if you're watching. It's it's uh, the front page of your website says shutting down abortion facilities. And we'll talk about that and how you do it. But I first want to get into you and learn a little bit about yourself and, and how Tell me about your background. Tell me how ultimately you got into the pro-life movement and specifically uh, starting uh, Reprotection. Yeah, so I have been doing pro-life work for almost 20 years. Um, I know I don't look old enough to be doing that, but uh, I started when I was young. Um, my family moved to the Washington, D.C. metro area, and uh we attended the March for Life. I was taken there by some friends who were pro-life and they said, hey, we're going to go to this march. Do you want to come? And, you know, I didn't really understand um, what abortion was. I didn't grow up hearing this term. I was was very uneducated. And thankfully, I had people in my life that began to talk to me about abortion, about the injustice of abortion, and took me into the March for Life. And I had this really special moment of walking down Constitutional Avenue, and uh, we're walking towards the Supreme Court, and there's, you know, 600,000 people there, and just really realizing this matters. This is a big deal. Uh, over a million children were being killed a year at that point, and women were being harmed and this innocent child was dying. And it just resonated so deeply with me, the magnitude of this injustice. And I just remember thinking, this is, this is going to really matter. This is going to really matter to me. And so kind of from that moment, I was probably 14 or 15 at that point and just set it, uh, set it as my life's goal. I said, I think I'm going to grow up and do something that's going to directly impact um, the abortion industry. I want to end abortion in our nation and um, just kind of decided from there. And so I uh, got a degree in political science with the intention of moving to the DC area. And at that point, I mean, this was the early 2000s. There, there were pro-life organizations, but it's not what we have today. I mean, um, 
it, there wasn't a clear path like this is what you do to do pro-life work. And so I just moved back to the DC area and started putting feelers out. And I was like, I want to do pro-life work full time. What does that look like? Um, and based on some of my relationships from that time, I started working at Student Life of America in 2013 and uh, was there for six years. And then it's kind of all been, um, it's what I've always done now in my entire adult career. So uh, just started really resonated with me from a young age and never left. Yes, that, that's such a great story. And, and I think it's inspiring to people that you can actually make a career in a sense out of, of doing pro-life work if that's what you right, want to do. Right, right. That wasn't even really on on uh, on people's radars, really. I, I didn't even know that was an option until I started looking. Like, you can, you can dedicate your life to this work. Um, and so it was, it was really exciting when I got that opportunity. Well, you know, my little podcast here, I've been able to meet so many people who are, um, who are doing essentially a similar work to you, whether it's full-time or part-time. Uh, I've had so many people from Students for Life on uh, a mutual friend, Allison Centafante, um, yeah, yeah, she's a board member now. Yeah, yeah. She, you know, she does, <laughs> yeah. you know, great work. And these are all these people are extremely educated. They could be honestly, they could be making massive, massive money working in the private yeah, I sector. <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I sometimes I laugh about it. I'm like, man, if I just made a lateral move into the corporate world, this would be so much easier. But no, I, I'm committed now. Yeah. Yo, and it's and it's so important. It really is. And it's it's really great work you're doing. Uh, so, okay. So tell us about, about reprotection and when when that's when you started that and tell us about what you do. Yeah, so the idea of reprotection the started brewing about four years ago when national pro-life leaders identified that even though states were passing really good pro-life laws um, where regulating abortion facilities uh, out of necessity because they were uh, trying to operate dangerous facilities, these states were were trying to regulate them, and, but there was a gap between the laws that were being passed and then the actual enforcement of them. And so uh, when you looked at, so a state, it started in Indiana, so a, a state like Indiana had very robust abortion regulations and, uh, you know, had pro-life legislators, a pro-life governor ensuring, you know, that, that women in, in their community were safe from dangerous abortionists. But when you actually looked at how that was being implemented on the ground level, uh, the health department, the medical board, the agencies responsible uh, were turning a blind eye. And part of that was they didn't know what was going on. They weren't keeping accurate records. But then also uh, there was a hesitancy to regulate the abortion business because it's so controversial. Um, even if you have a pro-life governor that appoints a pro-life secretary of the health department does not mean that the person actually sitting at the health department is pro-life. And so when they're looking at these abortion regulations, if they didn't agree with that, they would either ignore it altogether or interpret it as loosely as possible um, in favor of the abortion industry. So essentially you had regulations on the books and then uh, all these abortion facilities being unregulated um, because of that gap. And so the idea of reprotection was born to step in and, and fill that gap and say, what laws are on the books? 
uh, and who, what violations are taking place, who is responsible for that, and you know how can we uh, hold these facilities accountable? So, uh, like you showed on our our website, so we come alongside the pro life advocates in their communities. We collect the information because they see and hear just horrific stories from these women that are going in these facilities and they've never had a, a safe, confidential, um, trauma-informed place to take that information and make sure it's acted on appropriately. So we we provide that service to them. We say, oh, you've, you heard this in your community, bring it to us, we will investigate it. We analyze the information that's been given to us. We say, okay, what violation occurred? What law is actually on the books? Who is the responsible agency? What are the penalties? And then we follow that protocol to hold these facilities accountable. And ultimately, we want to shut them down based on their own misdeeds. Um, and so uh, that we that was done successfully in Indiana. And then we said, okay, can we create a template and do this everywhere else? And uh, we did incorporate in January of 2020, which was wild because then the world shut down. Uh, so our first real uh, year in operation was 2022. And so we came on the scene in January of 2022 and just absolutely exploded. People from all over the country just bombarded us with store horrific stories um, about their abortion facilities and the things going on. And we opened over 50 investigations. We closed two abortion facilities. We stopped three from opening. Um, and we're on the verge of closing a few more now. So it's really stepping in to say, what laws is, is the state put on the books and how is the abortion facility breaking those and getting that into the right hands and making sure they're being held accountable. Yeah. It, it actually reminds me of the uh, Kermit Gosnell case where, where they were purposely ignoring the yes. horrible situation there. I mean, I mean, it, you know, what's funny, Missy is, is that we're talking about like what we're, you know, you're trying to find violations of in the health code and that's, that's what, you know, any medical facility has to be up to code and doing certain things. Yeah. And even right. if they were up to code, up to up to the law, they're still killing people in these places. You know, that's the sad thing is that you have to find you they can be closed down because uh, they're not properly sanitizing or sterilizing tools. But it's OK if they're ripping babies apart. There, There's a. um who was the Al Capone? Maybe was there was a, a mafia, you know, leader boss who was who was eventually got on tax fraud. You know, like it's kind of one of those things. It's like okay, if we can't get them on these other things. We know that they're violating sanitation laws, informed consent laws, building codes, and let's get them on that. You know, so it's just a it's just a strategic way that if we can't if the state is not going to make it illegal to do abortions and we're going to find other ways to get. Them. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's what you have to do until until we can legally get rid of them. And we're inching, I guess, right. inching there uh, sort of, I guess, yeah. um, down there. You know, in, in your point about the governors, you know, we have I'm here in Ohio and we have a Republican pro-life governor. We have a supermajority in the state legislature yet during covid we had a very very it sounds like you maybe know a liberal pro-abortion uh secretary of health and human services in ohio and she kept open and it took court orders to get them to shut down abortion facilities during covid right my kids were at home 
sleep until two in the afternoon, me doing homework. But with you them, can get an abortion. But you can get an abortion. Yeah. So, you know, do they not yeah. care about women? Yeah. I thought they did. I, I see it very much as mis misplaced compassion and misinformation. I think people were genuinely afraid that if women did not have access to abortion, that, you know, all of these terrible things would happen. And that just comes down to there's just the abortion industry has done a really, really good job at misinforming people uh, on how traumatic abortion is. If abortion is not available, you know, these pregnancy centers are available to actually come alongside these families, offer them the real help. You know, it's just misinformation and uh, uh, people are, are, are scared. And so I, I don't want to, I don't want to assume that they have malicious intent. Some of them do. Um, but a lot of it is the abortion industry has just done a really good job at uh, marketing misinformation to ensure, to scare people into believing that if we don't have access to abortion, that women are going to die. And unfortunately, with my job, I see the opposite. I see when women have access to abortion, they're they're endangered by these these physicians who should not be practicing, who have had multiple medical malpractice cases against them, uh, who need to have their licenses suspended, who aren't uh, uh, reporting abuse on children. Like those are the real predators. Those are the people that are actually putting women in harm's way. So you you did just give some sort of examples of things that you guys have found. Can, can you give, uh, you don't have to name the location or any of that of uh, some of the more egregious issues that you found? Yeah. So what we have found is that because there's a lack of, uh, of willingness of agencies to step in and regulate abortion, physicians and different medical practitioners can kind of hide there that probably wouldn't be able to practice any other type of medicine. Um, if they were trying to do spinal surgery or, you know, anything else, there would be, but there would be more regulations, but because it's abortion and, uh, people are so hesitant to step in and regulate it, they can kind of build a business there and, and remain untouchable. So a lot of the physicians that we are investigating are typically ones that are showing signs of impairment due to age. So uh, people that are well past their prime and they're in their upper 80s that are still trying to do uh, surgical abortions with hands that are shaking, um, with diminished communication skills, um, the inability to insert a needle uh, because of their impairment. Um, trying to do surgery. And so that therefore you have higher risks of uh, lacerations, of hemorrhaging, you know, of, of, of really harming these, these women. Um, we had other cases where a physician had no training in uh, OBGYN care, had no surgical training. Uh, he was a family medicine doctor and he was providing abortion late term surgical abortions um and sent three women to the hospital almost dead and so the the fact that they did not die is an absolute miracle because when they showed up at the hospital they had no pulse they had lost so much blood but it's it's physicians who are showing signs of impairment who have history of medical malpractice, of license, dis, you know, disciplinary actions on their licenses, um, who don't have the proper training that hide in this industry and put women at risk. And so we step in and, and bring that to the attention of the medical boards. Yeah. 
So I, I'd be interested in your, your thoughts on, on this. Um, so my son, who's 20 years old, and I don't know, he may or may not be listening, uh, but he knows everything. Uh, but no, smart kid, very smart kid. So what he tells me and he says that he thinks that this stuff, whether it's abortion, whether it's the craziness that they're doing with the transgenders and and chemical castrations and, and hormone blockers and whatever these things are, that eventually they're going to sort of collapse on themselves, right? People are going to see the truth behind the destruction uh, with the whole transgender and people, are, and it's going to, in essence, backfire on the people that support all this because it's going to become apparent. I disagree with him. I, I wish he was right in this case um, because I look at the example of abortion and I see the, the science has become more and more clear. We have ultrasound. We have we know that the baby has its own DNA at the at conception. Uh, we have so many examples like what you're talking about, and yet the left wants to push it even more and has even pushed to kill babies after they're born. Right, right, right. Is there any backing down? Do you think that there's they are ever going to say? yikes, this is pretty bad. Maybe we need to curtail yeah. it. Yeah. The the only thing that I have found encouraging over the past, you know, decade is that there have been, uh, there has been a trend that, that most people in the United States do not agree with the most, uh, uh, extreme abortion views. Most people want some restrictions. Most people want regulations like the, the democratic platform that says abortion in all cases, for whatever reason, and taxpayer funded, the majority of, of citizens in the United States do not agree with that. And so I do think that there has been a trend thanks to things like science with ultrasounds and, and, and information and resources for women, um, that has changed that, that narrative. But, uh, we have to, we have to stay diligent because the abortion industry is powerful, has a lot of money, um, and they are going to keep pushing that ad agenda. And so we have to step in, um, and advocate for these women advocate for these communities that are targeted by Planned Parenthood, by these abortion businesses um, and keep fighting back. I, I, I don't think uh, if I, I don't think they're going to collapse on themselves. I mean, they just have, they have too much money, they have too much power and they have an agenda that, that really um, preys on the weak and the vulnerable. I mean, it, and it's, it's really, really sad. Um, so we're not until every abortion business is shut down in the United States. Uh, you know, we, we're going to have a job to do. Do you think that um, the insistence on the pro-life uh, groups, movement, voters impacted the the recent midterm elections? So I'm a Trump supporter, but he hit, he made the point of saying uh, that he thinks it was the pro-lifers who insisted on no exceptions and stuff like that. And I disagree with him, but I'm asking, you, you know, if you yeah, want to Yeah, it's really opinion. hard to say. I mean, it's so hard to say because there were so many things at play <laughs> in the midterms. There were so many things. Um, maybe it, it definitely could have been a piece um, that I, I think it had more to do with because of the reversal of Roe versus Wade, um, the Dobbs decision. I think I think the abortion activists were were more motivated. I think they saw the writing on the wall and said, oh, no, uh, we just had a huge loss. And so I think there was just more um, 
motivation. I think more people came out to vote because they had they just suffered this huge loss. So it might have been a part of it, but it, it, because there were so many, um, you know, different things going on, it, it's really hard to say if it was abortion or not. It might have been a piece, but I, I think it's because the uh, the abortion industry was scared. Dot the 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 loss of Roe versus Wade was a huge blow to their industry, um, and so they went out and spent a lot of money in states, a lot of marketing, a lot of campaigning um, to to push back. Well, I, I yeah, I agree with you. I think that, yeah, you perfectly stated. I, I just am still trying to figure out my friends to the east of me here in Ohio of how in the world they voted for Fetterman. I mean, that was, I, I'm still baffled. I'm absolutely still baffled at, at that. But nevertheless, uh, that's what they think of the institution of government, that they would put someone in like that. Even before he had his apparent stroke, he was not any better, to be honest. But all right, that's a separate issue. All right. So, <laughs> yeah. all right. So, We're a 501c3, so we don't. Uh... Yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. We don't take a stance on that. Guys, yes, thank but... you. Well, that was my opinion. So just as a disclaimer, that was all my opinion, not Missy's. Uh, okay. So, so obviously, you know, you, you do great work and you need support. Even you're, you're growing like crazy and because you have yes. a need. So um, <laughs> tell everybody where and how they can um, connect, support financially, in person, um, or and or if they have a facility to report. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you can find everything at reprotection.org, but you hit the nail on the head. We grew so quickly. You know, when I, I can, I can fully admit I dreamt too small. You know, last January when I was standing at the March for Life, we had, uh, we, we had just gotten to the point where we had four employees we had two employees up until that point. Um, and now we have six and we have quadrupled our budget, but we're still barely holding on because of the amount of cases that are just flooding in. We have to grow our team to meet the need because that this is a national uh, problem. There are so many abortion facilities that are violating uh, basic state laws, basic state code that nobody's investigating. And 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 the pregnancy centers want our help. The people on the ground want our help. And we want to be able to answer those calls. Um, and so we need to grow our team. Uh, we need more investigators. So reprotection.org, you can find out more about our strategy, about how we come alongside pro-lifers in, in communities, how uh, we investigate um, we keep things confidential. We are we are trauma informed. We put the client's experience first. This is a safe place. We're not going to ask these women to do anything they don't want to do. Um, but we we want to be able to take all of those calls. And so, if this is resonating with you, if you say this sounds so fascinating, we would love for you to partner with us. Um, you can donate right on our website, reprotection.org. There's a a big orange uh, donate button. That is the biggest need is I need more investigators <laughs> to take on more cases to shut down more abortion facilities because this is this is time consuming. These investigations take a lot of work. They take a lot of work, a lot of hours. Um, and so that is our number one need is is financial support. So if this sounds amazing to you, if you're like, yes, I want to come alongside what you're doing, that is the number one way you can support us. 
We also have a uh, page where you can actually report a violation. So if you are somebody who has had a negative abortion experience yourself, or you have been uh, you've talked to patients you had, um, you can go on our website. It says report a violation and there's a form right there that goes directly to our director of investigations. And uh, she reads every single case. Now, I can't guarantee you that every single one we can we can do something with, um, but we do our best. We do our best. And uh, we want to make sure that we at least give you the chance. Um, we investigate it. We'll look into it and and see what's going on at the facility in your community. So Reprotection.org. Um, everything should be there. We also try to do once a month, we'll do a webinar called Reprotection in Brief. We'll have uh, information up on that um, probably end of January after the March. We'll do one. Um, and that just gives an opportunity for us to talk uh, to people all over the country. They join. We talk about what we do. And then and it really it gives a chance for them to ask questions about their specific facilities and um, you know, we're, we're happy to engage that way too. So reprotection.org, um, you know, would love for you guys to check it out and, uh, become a, become a partner. Absolutely. And I, and for, again, for those that are watching and not just listening, it's, uh, I have it on the screen. I have the website, I have the website scrolling at the bottom of the screen as well. Uh, but again, reprotection.org. Um, and, uh, yeah, definitely help. Is there, so anyone can give money. Do you need a, anyone special, can give money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you need a special credential or, or is there a credential that would help as far as in being someone that investigates? So I, I kind of jokingly say calling all pro-life introverts, um, the people who help us investigate are the ones like, this is me. Uh, I, I'm not a protester, you know, I don't want to be out holding signs and yelling. It's just not me. It's not me. And that there's some people who do it. The people who do sidewalk counseling, bless you. You do great work. I would be so bad at it, but you tell me, please go find this one needle in a haystack sentence in legal code. I'm like, yes, that sounds amazing. Um, and so the people that are, are research uh, motivated, you know, that love to read, that love um, anything, constitutional law, stuff like that. It's really just, um, uh, are, are you someone that wants to be behind the scenes and, and digging through information? You know, like when I, when I go and speak to groups of people, I can always tell who this resonates with. Cause there's people that like, their eyes just glaze over and they're like, no, thank you. And then there's other people that come up and they're like, I didn't know that I could use those gifts. Like I've always felt, you know, like I didn't want to do the protest, but I can, I would love to read, you know, 200 pages of court testimony. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, right. So it, there's always like people that when I say this is what we do, it just resonates with, but it's typically the people who, um, you know, are more drawn to like the liberal arts degrees, the English people, the uh, political science, the, you know, research kind of heavy um, paralegal work, I would say. Yeah. So, well, that's good to know. No, that's really good to know that. And I think that's the case for, for all of us in this movement is that we all have a different role. We don't all have to yes. do the exact same thing. Cause I, I would, yes. I haven't ever done a sidewalk um, event either. And I, 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 admit same with you it wouldn't be as comfortable. yeah i wouldn't be good at it yeah. and that's okay yeah. that's fine <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely so wow this is really really great stuff great story 
I love it. Um, and, and I admit I've been trying to figure out your age, um, but um, but I haven't been able to. You didn't give me any clues that would that would tell me about what. 33. Oh, you, 33. Didn't, you didn't have to. I wasn't asking you. That's fine. No, it's totally fine. Yeah. yeah. So I started when I was like 14 or 15, uh, went full time work when I was 22, I guess. So, yeah. Great stuff. It's been, been a while. Great yeah. stuff. Lucy <laughs> Martinez Stone, CEO of Reprotection. Uh, thank you so much for what you do, and thanks for coming on my show. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Fides Podcast. Please check out all my podcasts and all the different podcast apps on Rumble on, and on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern on WriteAmericaMedia.com. So thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Take the time.